This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. I want you to take out your notes, take out your Bibles. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. We're in the third chapter already, and uh, uh, your outline is inside your worship guide. Um, uh, it is for taking notes. I found this on the ground outside. It is an outline that was turned into a paper airplane. Now, I'm pretty sure one of my boys did this, okay, but these are not not for paper airplanes. Uh, it's, it's for taking notes. Um, uh, I had someone say, you know, it's hard for me to write down and think and, and listen at the same time. And, and I would just say to you, uh, then, then no, just, just know where I'm at and, and, uh, and, and we'll try to keep it moving. And so that kind of gives me uh, a chance to uh, let you know exactly where we're at and, and to be able to reference some things uh, in a short period of time. Uh, I want to take you to, to Philippi this morning. Uh, way of video, I want to take you to Philippi, I want to I I show you the topography, and I want to explain to you that this Roman city that you're seeing, this is the modern city, uh, currently uh, Kabbalah is the Greek word for it, but ancient Philippi, part of the Roman, uh, you, know, uh, you know, empire, this massive ruin of their amphitheater, uh, the ancient city. Just outside the ancient city, many of their criminals, many of their slaves who had been sentenced to death by the emperor of Rome or by the the leader of their region would have been crucified on a tree, on a cross, right outside of the city. Every Roman city had its place outside the city for crucifixion. And no doubt, uh, they, they, they can trace back some of the uh, people who were crucified outside of the city. And when Paul would have referenced the cross of Christ, they would not have thought about it as something that would liberate them or something that's good. When I say, we're going to reach for the cross this morning, I'm not talking uh, about something that we think of as evil, although it was. They would have looked at it as an electric chair. They would have looked at it from a stigma of lethal injection. They would have looked at it as capital punishment. They would have looked at it as the most gory, horrific, painful way to die. In fact, doctors and social psychologists and uh, people who study these things, uh, they say that the most painful way to die is crucifixion. And so, crucifixion was not anything that was foreign to this group of people in Philippi. Uh, But the cross of Jesus Christ was something that they were learning was more significant than just someone being put to death. It was someone that was being put to death and then coming back to life. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the cross, but I want to talk to you about what the cross symbolizes for you and me today. And so in your notes, we're going to kind of go just verse by verse. And I want you to look at verse number one. Uh, Verse number one in in Philippians chapter three, it says, Finally, uh, this is not saying the book's almost over because it has two chapters left, okay? It's just saying, uh, you know, in the conclusion of the matter, of this letter, okay, in conclusion, my brethren, 
rejoice in the Lord. Can we say that together? Rejoice in the Lord. And that's a choice. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. We're going to talk about true joy. But he says rejoice in the Lord. Uh, To write the same things to you is indeed not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now at the end I'm going to talk about the word safe, what it means. But right now I want to tell you that Paul was referencing three choices that the church at Philippi made that I really want us to make as well. And we're going to talk about these choices over the next couple of weeks as well. But, but let me show you these choices. The choice to be related. My brethren, he says. By the way, when we are coming into the body of Christ and we are receiving Jesus as our Savior, John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So it's a choice to be related. He said, you chose to be in the family of God. And then it was a choice to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It's an imperative. You rejoice in the Lord. Make that choice to rejoice, regardless of the circumstances. People were being crucified for their faith. People were being tortured for their faith. People were being uh, beheaded for their faith. And he said, rejoice. It doesn't seem right. That leads us to the last choice, and that is a choice to remember. You see, what they remembered brought them to a rejoicing in spite of their circumstances. Because they remembered who they were and what was coming in their lives. A a, a better day was coming, not because the Roman emperor would change, not because Paul was a hero, but because they were looking to the eternal uh, hope of glory, of spending an eternity with Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Now I want you to look at uh, verse number 2. Verse number 2. And before we read it, actually, let's go to the key thought for, for, this, for this entire kind of first section of this. And that is this, that our greatest obstacle in perceiving the truth is the assumption that we already have received it. So many of us come into church thinking, yeah, I understand the cross. I have one in my house. I know that Jesus died on it. And maybe even a step further, maybe some of you aren't even a part of church or aren't used to going to church or kind of new to church. We have a lot of you in here. And I would just say that maybe you have a view of church as, well, a cross is something that is like a religious symbol. But I want to say that it's much more than that. And I want to say that the truth of the cross is something that every one of us need to look at every single day, every single week of our lives. And I'm going to tell you why throughout this message. But first, I want you to understand that there are some people in religion, and, and, I, and I always feel like I'm on a hobby horse, and I, and, I, and I always ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, please guide my lips, because I don't always want to stand up here and trash religion, but I just want to say that there are some religious people who do not have the best motive. There are some religious people that are using the cross as a relic. There are some religious people who are just going through the motions, who, who, who aren't understanding the cross and its true significance. And to those people, I would say they are doing a danger and a disservice to those who don't realize that it has been paid in full. That Jesus came and paid for all the sins of mankind on the cross of Christ. That's what he came to do. Jesus came to connect man back to God through his death, burial, and resurrection. So what truth are we thinking that we have that we don't really have? Let me show you. First of all, I want you to understand that there are some people that are trying to twist and distort the truth, and they are seeking to devour you. And this is what he says in verse number two about these people, okay? 
I don't speak about these warnings very often, but I need to tell you, this is a specific warning toward false teachers. Verse number two. Beware of dogs. <laughs> Whoa. Paul, tell us how you really feel. Like, really? Why dogs? It was because the Jewish people would call the Gentile people dirty, well, what we would say is mutts, but they would say, oh, those Gentiles, they're dirty dogs. In fact, the Jewish people didn't understand the Greek language, you know, and so they would call them barbarians, and it came from a, a word that wasn't a word, bar, 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 whatever they're saying, barbarians. It was just like, it was, it was all Greek to them, I guess, okay? So for, for them, they looked at the Greeks, they looked at the Gentiles and said, they're dogs. And Paul was saying, wait a second, if you have self-righteousness to the point that you're wanting to pass judgment on someone and you're wanting to be evil and, 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 and have hatred towards someone and you're calling yourself religious, but you're not kind, you're not loving, you're not patient, you're not gentle, who's the dog? Who, who's the one? And so, and so he says, beware of dogs. Now, I want you to know something uh, about me, uh, just kind of a personal fact. Maybe you didn't want to know this, but, but Christian dogs really like me, okay? When I say Christian dogs, I want to make a distinction because demon dogs, they're out to get me. And some of you in this room know this, that I've been bitten twice. And I'm not talking about like little bites. I'm talking, I will show you the massive scars on my leg and hands from two massive bites, okay, that put me in the hospital. So when I say, if you own a demon dog, please do not invite me over until you have put the little dog into the enclosure. I don't care if it's little or big. I'm saying if it's a demon dog. Now, you know you if that's you, okay? Uh, but, but he's not talking about literal dogs. He's talking about people who devour. He's talking about people who have the outward appearance of being religious, but inwardly, really, they're, they're evil. They have a sadistic motive. You know what breaks my heart? Some of the people I love the most want nothing to do with Jesus, church, God, anything about the Bible. Do you know why? Not because of God. Not because of the Bible. Because of people who said they were good and didn't act good. People who said they were the ministers of truth and were nothing but, tr but deceitful. They were workers of evil. And they were, as he says, the concision. Now that sounds like a movie title. You know, coming fall 2020, the concision. You know, it's like, here, here it comes. You know, what's coming, right? What, what's happening? The concision. W Paul, what is the concision? Well, well, let me break this down because it was some people who said, if you're not circumcised, awkward. If you're not circumcised, you, you, you're out. You, you will never go to heaven, okay, if, if you're not circumcised. And Paul's like, okay, dividers. He's literally calling them slicers, okay? So that's, that's pretty vivid, okay? But, but this is what he says, okay? He says, dogs, evil workers, and concision, they all are working against the kingdom. They're all working against the forward progress for why Jesus died. Let's break this down. Number one, dogs are those who will not stop devouring. 
they, 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 they're consuming. They, they, they always want more, right? They're devouring you. Uh, and, and it's horrible. It's, it's, it's legalistic. Uh, evil workers, those who will not stop deceiving. Uh, they, they, they're constantly saying things. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. But where's that in Scripture? Oh, well, this is a, a verse that was in the original. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Time out. It's not in the book. What are we doing here? All right? Don't, don't, don't deceive, right? And then the concision, those who will not stop dividing. Those who, 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 who are trying to make up these, these impossible rules that if you don't keep the rules, you're out. Oh, 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 you broke the rules, you're out. And Paul's saying, well, hold on, hold on, time out. I thought Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Wait, how, how can I say who's out and in? I, I thought that was Jesus' job, right? I thought he was the one who, who, was, who was saying, this is an age of grace. I want all men to come to repentance. That's what I thought, right? So, so Paul's trying to make a really, really strong point in verse number two to say, hey, listen, this is, this is a big deal. Now, in, in order to understand all of this in context, okay, because I don't want to pull this out of context, I want you to understand that, that he's really trying to get them to say, it's not about those evil people. We're not going to get a, a chip on our shoulder because there's some, there's some hypocrites in church or uh, there's hypocrites everywhere or, or there's some people who've done us wrong or done us dirty, you know, in other churches or whatever. What, what he's trying to say here is, in verse number three and following, he, he's trying to make a shift in their paradigm. Okay, paradigm's how you view things, how, how, how you feel about something, okay? So in verse number three, it says, he says, you, you want to talk about circumcision? We are the circumcision. Our, in, in another book, in, in Galatians 2, he says, our hearts have been circumcised. There. Like, what are you going to do about that? You know? How, how are you going to check if his heart's circumcised? You know what I mean? Okay? Now, not to get even more awkward, but they were doing circumcision checks. Okay? That's not ever going to happen here. Okay? Praise Jesus. So, so that, was, that was happening, and Paul was getting amped about it, okay? And, and, and I won't even tell you, in other passages, he gets even more vivid, okay? So we won't go there today, all right? But, but he says, we are the circ- circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit. He says, it's not about, you want to make it all about the outward. You want to say that if you do this and you do that, then you're, you're, you're the stuff, man. You got it together. Good for you. And he says, no, 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 we worship God in the Spirit. What are you talking about? Outward conformity, right? And he says, and rejoice. What are we rejoicing? We're not rejoicing in our rules and our laws. No, no, no. Something better. We're rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Man, what a beautiful thing that is. And he says, oh, and and by the way, no confidence in the flesh. So you want to put all the confidence in, in what you do? More power to you because that's a lot of pressure. Okay? If I had the pressure to be perfect for you, I would go certifiably insane in five days. Why? It's too much pressure. There, I don't have confidence in my flesh, and neither should you have confidence in yours. You say, oh boy, well, what do we have confidence in? In Jesus Christ. Okay, now, now here's the paradigm shift that I want to give you, okay? It, it, first, it's a shift away from self-effort and self-promotion, and then it's a shift toward the complete satisfaction in Christ. Now that's it, okay? 
So, so the message is basically over, okay? But, but I want to explain those two things in, in, our, in the final moments here. I want to explain those two things. In the second half, we're going to just talk about how to make that shift. By the way, this is why Jesus died. To shift you from self-effort, self-promotion toward complete satisfaction in Christ. I know a lot of people in here think, well, I mean, define complete satisfaction. We will. Okay, but first, we need to answer two questions. If this is the paradigm shift of this passage, and it is, we need to answer, well, what's so terrible about self-effort? What's so terrible about self-promotion? Some of you in here, if you don't promote yourself in your job, you'll lose it. All of us in here, if we don't give effort at our jobs, we're going to lose it. Right? So everyone has to have effort. You say, what's so bad, what's so terrible about self-effort when it comes to my relationship with Jesus comes to life. Why is self-effort such a trap? I'm so glad you asked that question, okay, because we're going to answer it right now. First of all, I want you to understand that self-promotion, okay, it's, it assumes, letter A, a false identity. So it assumes a false identity. When we promote ourselves, as we talked about last week, when we're kind of like lifting ourselves up, by the way, you guys, you've all seen the person who, who, who just, walks around and, and, and it's just like, you're like, there's other people in the world, bro. Like, it isn't all about you. But when you talk to them, you would think it was, right? So no one likes pride, but no one can see their own pride. And pride is driven by this false identity, okay? So what's the assumption of a false identity? Let's look at verse number four. So verse number three, no confidence in the flesh, okay? We don't, we don't want we don't, we don't to promote the flesh. We don't want to promote our, our effort in, in, in ourselves, okay? No, no, no. We are, verse 3, we are something else. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath thereof uh, might trust in the flesh. Meaning, he's like, well, wait a second. If, if we're going to play the you did awesome, but I did better game, he's like, let me just throw it out there. If I wanted to have confidence in flesh, let me just throw out my resume. And he's like, let me just talk to you about what it would look like for me to, to have confidence in the flesh for a minute, okay? For me to promote myself, this is what my identity used to be. Here's what he says. He says this, I'm more. He's like, I'm gonna win this game, bro. So if you wanna, if, if you, if you wanna, if you wanna go, I'll go. But I, if you wanna win the identity game, you're gonna lose because I was circumcised the eighth day. And he's telling this to a group of people who were Jewish, um, but, but they were Roman citizens. He, he said, no, 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 I started out a Jew. But I was born in Tarsus, so, so I, I had both. I was Jewish and Roman citizen. He kind of had the best of both worlds. Stock of Israel. Tribe of Benjamin. Oh, wow. Okay, that was a badge of honor. Hebrew of the Hebrews. In Aramaic, this was basically saying, he was someone else, like he was someone. He was, he was someone, everyone knew his name, okay? He had someone, he had, he had uh, potential, he had promise as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now we think of Pharisees like, oh, that's terrible. But back then, wow, if you were a Pharisee, I mean, you had the entire Torah memorized by the time you were 12. They're 12-year-olds, okay? Think about that, you know? You get home from school, memorize Leviticus 13. Whoa, that's him. Concerning zeal, okay, how passionate was he? 
so passionate he was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians, touching righteousness, which was in the law, blameless. You, you couldn't find anything in him. He said, if I want to promote myself, this could be my identity. But you know what he's saying? He's like, no, 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 this is not the identity I want. And you know what, I, you know what just breaks my heart? Is to watch our culture in a complete identity crisis. You know if you put into uh, YouTube people pretending to be? You know what pop up? Five out of the ten people, you know, pretending to be famous. People pretending to be mannequins, babies, horses. Why? Why? Because we're not happy with the identity we have, we would rather put on an identity of someone else. We would rather pretend than be confronted with who we truly are. That's the problem. And so when it comes to identity, specifically our identity in Christ, we have to understand that Paul says in verse number 9, jump to verse number 9, he says this. After that whole resume, and he's like, that's worth nothing. And, And then he says this. And be found in him. And be found in him. You want to know how to solve any identity problems? Be found in him. You say, what does that mean to be in him? We don't say, I'm in Buddha, I'm in Muhammad, I'm in Allah. No, no, no. We're in Jesus Christ. Why? Well, I can't go 500 miles an hour and and fly at 30,000 feet, but when I'm in an airplane, I can. I can't go 80 miles an hour if I'm on the 405 during traffic, 8 miles an hour, okay? I can't can't go super fast unless I'm in a vehicle. Do you understand? If you're in something that's greater than yourself, you take on the attributes of whatever you are in. And so what I'm trying to say today is that your identity is not your faulty, you know, past and, and, and whatever you can or can't do or whatever your past experiences are, whatever your family is, I'm just a loser, I'm just whatever, or I'm, I'm awesome. Wait a second. All of your identity gets checked at the door when you are in Jesus Christ. And so, this is the key takeaway, and we'll get to this verse in a minute. But identity... Uh, it has to start with us identifying our main source of significance. And when we identify our main source of significance, we'll learn what we are most trusting in, what, what we are most depending on. See, if you derive significance out of a job or a position, and that position ends, you're in trouble. If you identify in, in a relationship, and that relationship ends, Wow, crisis. But when you identify in Jesus Christ, that relationship's never going to end if it's begun. Now, some of you need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. And I will say it's so easy to begin the relationship, not because of, of how awesome you are. It's easy because of what he did on the cross. So it comes back to the cross. We're reaching out for the cross. We're identifying that what Jesus did on the cross and what, what he did when he rose again from the dead was the most significant thing that has ever taken place on planet earth. And his significance becomes our significance. Go back to verse nine. So he says, being found in Christ, in him, then he says this, not having my own righteousness, 
which is found of the law. He said, listen, you want to look at me and see righteous? No. Look at Jesus, because now his righteousness is applied to my account. Your identity is not the, the sinner, the, the person you think it is. It is Jesus Christ's perfection on you. You see, we're living life as if we're faulty, you know, sinful people, and you say, we are. But wait a second, there's something better. We are who we are becoming, and we are becoming like Jesus Christ. And so if we wake up every day and you're like, I'm doomed for failure now you are but if we wake up every morning we say wait a second i'm in jesus christ he can do more through me than i can do by myself lord help me use me empower me flow through me that is the key to the christian life and so we've got to have victory not in who we are but in who he says we are it is our identity in christ which unlocks but we cannot have our identity in christ if we're if we're going around promoting our identity in self and so self-promotion it assumes this false identity it assumes that that this is the way to do it and jesus says wait a second forsake that i mean no 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 if you want to go high you get low humble yourself serve others I, he said he came to seek and to save that was lost. He came, to, he came to minister, not be ministered unto. He came to be the servant of all. That is the way. Not promoter of all. Not better than all. Not richer than all. No, he came to be the servant of all. And so we see that our self-identity has to be found in Christ. But, but, but why is self-effort? So we said why self-promotion is so dangerous. Why self-effort? Because you say, we got to make an effort. I mean, come on. You can't just say, you know, you're in Christ, so just sit back and, you know, have fun. Okay, all right. Let's talk about self-effort, okay? Self-effort assumes a false ability. See, I'm all for effort. Man, I'm all for, as I said last Sunday, the mom mentality. Like, let's bring, let's have a revelation of that, okay, in our society. Like, let's have a, let's have a hardworking generation that, that, that doesn't quit, that's that not phased by anything. Okay, I'm all down for that. But when we're trusting in that, okay, when that is what we're leaning on, we are doomed. I'm doomed. Why? Because everyone has cracks in their armor. Everyone has weak spots. Everyone has blind spots. And so I want you to understand something, that this, that, that, that this false identity leads to this false assured ability. We, we, we think we have the ability when we really don't. And so I want you to understand that this is, this is a value system. So uh, if you've ever talked to me about any relationship, I've always said something uh, similar, and I probably sound like a broken record, but I need to hear it too. That everything in relationships, including your relationship with Christ, comes back to value. What are you valuing? If the values are different, there's conflict. If the values are the same, there's synergy. Okay? So let me just tell you what, what, what Paul's saying about this. Look in verse number six. Okay? Uh, verse number seven, I mean. After he gives his resume, he says, and by the way, Here's how I feel about all the good that I did. Here's how I feel about all that effort. You know that zeal I was talking about? Here's how I feel about it. What things are gained to me, those things I counted loss. He's like, that whole resume that I just said, that would beat your resume, by the way, if we were comparing. Oh, oh that one, I count loss. Why? I count it loss for Jesus Christ. Because I found a resume that was better than mine. 
I found someone that outdid me. His name was Jesus. In fact, he was perfect. And I counted everything for loss for him. Yea, doubtless, I counted all things for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom I have suffered loss for all things. He said, I this is not just in words. Man, I've, I've, I've put this to the test. And do count them but dung. When I was a teenager and I read this verse, I'm like, well, what other kind of dung is there? Okay? So, but dung. Okay? So, so that I may win Christ. He's like, listen, it, it's literally, um, and maybe he had dogs on his mind, but he's like, it's animal, animal excrement. Okay? It's like the, the, the most horrific smell you can think of. I mean, just put that on my resume. He's like, now I'm not defined by that. Now I'm not defined by what I can do. Now I'm defined by what Jesus has done. Now here's, here's the kicker. He says that I may win Christ. You say, what do you mean win Christ? He's, he's using this metaphor for, for valuing something. If you're pressing towards something, if you're wanting something, if you're desiring something so much, you, you got to have it. You're working towards something. When it comes, it's, it's so awesome unless it's not. For instance, my boys started collecting cans. And then they realized it's only five cents and it's a lot of work. And then finally, I was the one collecting them. Whoa, 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 hey, hold on. This is your thing. So finally I said, guys, we're cashing it in. We're not doing cans anymore. We'll give them away. And, uh, and so if you'd like some cans, I have some in my garage. I would love to give them to you. If you collect them, I'm all about it. But for my boys, okay, they're still growing in the area of discipline. Okay, so, but we went and we dropped off, I want to say four or five bags. And they were saying, dad, how much money is here? And I kept on saying, well, I know it's a lot of work, but I, I just want to let you know that uh, these four or five bags will probably come out to maybe 15, 20 at the most dollars. And we're going to split that two ways because you both work. I know Camden, you worked harder than Chandler, but we're just going to kind of be fair here. So we got there. We're unloading them. We're pour pouring them into these bins. And if you've ever done it before, you have to separate, you know, the cans from the bottles and all of that. So we're, we're doing the separation thing. And the reason why they're both smiling is when the guy went and, and brought them together and totaled it up, I don't know if we have the next slide, uh, it, it came to the amount of weight, and they're like, $61. I'm like, no, 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 it's, that's the weight or whatever. <laughs> and, 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 but then the guy takes out, and, you know, they, they have cash there, and he took out the cash. He handed it to my boys, and it was $37. Now, you would have thought it was $3 million because they were so overjoyed. Why? It was so much better than their expectation. Now, admittedly, I was trying to kind of lower those expectations, okay? So, but, but, but they were like, wow, this, we are rich, like, you know, rolling. And then, you know, Chandler says every, every time he gets money, Dad, can we turn it in for one so I have more money? I'm like, okay, doesn't, whatever. He's in first grade, still learning those values, right? So all I'm trying to say is the weight on the scale 
determined the value in our pockets. I want you to understand what the word, the, the word for win means, or, or actually let's go to the word that's, that's effect, the, the, the efficiency or the, um, uh, the excellency. It's hyper-echo. That's an easy Greek word to learn. Hyper-echo. Some of you with young kids, you know what hyper-echo sounds like, okay? So, so but, but it's not talking about noise. It's actually talking about holding above to be valued as superior, to be more important, to surpass any other value. It weighs more. It's very similar to the word doxa, which means glory, which means weight, meaning it, it, the excellency, there's nothing getting past it. There's, there's nothing better. So when he says the ability of Christ is so much better than my ability, he's saying not just the ability, but the expectation of what you can do is so much better. You say, you're getting my hopes up. Exactly. Because look, look at the word win. Look at the word win, if we have it. The word win means to gain, to incur profit, but it means to be blessed with. So it even gets better. So it's not something you have to work for. It's something you receive. Oh man, this is even getting better. So now you don't have to collect all the little cans. Oh, I went to church and, 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 and I did this good deed and I did that good deed. How, my, how, how many cans do I have? How much is that weighing? And God's saying, uh, nothing. Okay, and then it's like, oh, oh, but, but I do have Jesus. And God's up in heaven saying, you have everything. You have, you have won. You have just won the game. Why? Because Jesus won it for you. And he said, they're mine. They're my children. They're my family. This is what it means to win in life. And so this is our key thought from this point. And that is that when we understand that self-effort should be the byproduct of our identity, not the basis of it, we will start to rest in Christ, trust in Christ, not promote ourselves, and not think that self-effort and self-promotion are the way to go because that's what culture is telling you is the way to win. Work harder, look better, and you will win. And all I have to ask you to know that that's not true is how's it working for you? And for me, no thank you. I am so happy for friends and family who do well in business. I'm not saying that if you're successful, you're not winning. I'm saying that whether you're successful in the world's eyes or, or not, that is not the barometer for eternal success. There's something far greater. So then that leads us to ask, well then what is satisfaction in Christ? What is complete satisfaction? What does that even mean? So briefly, as we close, I want you to understand how we can experience true satisfaction in Christ. And he tells us this. And friends, this is the greatest verse in this book, verse number 10. I want you to read it with me, okay? Let's read it together. Ready, begin. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That I may know him. Now, everyone in here has been given a life sentence. Your, your life sentence might be, he, he, he tried hard, he was a good whatever. Paul's life sentence was this that I may know him. 
He was defined by his relationship with Christ. He said, everything that satisfies me is wrapped up in those words, that I may know him. That's the prize. I want to know him. I really want to know who he is because who he is defines who I am. Who he is unlocks everything for me. And so what is this way to experience this satisfaction in Christ? Well, letter A, we need to understand, and I wish someone would have told me this when I was 20, 15. I wish someone would have said, hey, Peter, know this. The satisfaction is a gift we receive, not a goal we achieve. It's not something you go out and get. Satisfaction is not something that if you have all that you want or you have all of your problems, quote unquote, taken care of, then you'll be fulfilled. You won't. You just want a little more and and you'll have a little bit more headache and you'll just, if I just get right there and it's just out of reach and so we're in a series called Reach For It and I want you to reach today ultimately for the cross because when we reach for the cross, we're reaching for a relationship with Jesus. This is what the world says to do. It says, if you climb higher, you'll be more satisfied. But nature even teaches us that No matter how high you climb, it's only temporary satisfaction. In fact, in Italy, the ibex are these these animals that can climb great heights. This is a little baby ibex that is on the side of a dam, uh, several hundred feet in the air, and they are climbing on a sheer cliff. And the reason they have climbed up to these links, these the great links, is because there are little deposits from the water that have left minerals that they need that satisfy them. Salts, different things that their minds and brains and, their, and that, that, that their uh, you know, immune system needs, they find it on these rocks. And so... As they are risking their lives, they climb higher to get more to be satisfied. But no matter how high they climb, the next day, they have to climb again. And so the cross says, you don't have to climb higher to be better. You just have to receive what Christ gave at the cross. And so we need to understand as, as, a, as a byproduct of who we are in Christ, we are receiving the gift of knowing him, that I may know him, to become aware, to comprehend, to understand, to experience who he is, and to be satisfied, being satisfied with who Christ is. Uh, as, as the key thought, it's, it provides the certainty and security of knowing who we are and who we were meant to be. You see, Byproducts of a real relationship with Christ are limitless power, the power of the resurrection, limitless renewal, uh, a partnership in difficulty, you're not alone, uh, letting go of everything but Christ. He, he, he's everything you ever need. These are the byproducts. 
of attaining. The word attaining actually means to, to grab onto, to hold onto, to meet, to come face to face, to come down, to reach out for. It, it's, it's a word that they would use for grasping onto something. If it's the last thing you do, he also says in verse number uh, 11, verse number 11, he says, um, that not that I have attained. He's, he's, he's talking uh, to, to a church that, that, that knew his resume, that understood, and he said, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. I haven't, I haven't arrived. I get cracked up all the time when people are like, oh, my, my neighbor, man, he's like, oh, you're a pastor. And I'm like, and a human. Like, come on, guys, none of us in here has it all together. We're all... We're all working at this thing, but we have to work at it the way that Christ wants us to, and it's through grace. And, and he says this. He says, it, neither already perfect, but I follow after. You know, you can't be perfect, but you can follow. You can follow after Jesus. I can follow after. I don't have to be perfect to follow. That if I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended, he said, wait a second, you start following Jesus, guess what? You're going to find him. He's going to hold on to you. You hold on to him. He's going to hold on to you. Let me tell you something. When you find Christ in a relationship with Christ, everything changes. And so uh, let her be. Let her be. When we pursue Jesus, when we receive satisfaction in Christ, it is because we have made a simple and continuous choice each and every day to know him and to rest in him, to trust in him. You say, well, I trusted in him for salvation. Great. Now trust in him for your relationship with your wife. Now trust in him for your relationships at work. Now trust in him for the difficulty you're going through in, with your health. Now trust him in every other area. You say, but if I trust him, it might get painful. It might get a little bit difficult. He will always give you the strength to take the next step. But this is, this is the, the takeaway from today. And I've given you some verses. When Paul said, I am crucified with Christ in Galatians 2, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He was saying that I can either live for myself or I can live for Christ, but I can't do both at the same time. And this is the problem that I have. Let me grab my cross. If I have a cross that I'm bearing for Christ... No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how people might say, well, why the cross, man? I mean, come on. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Why the cross? Why, 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 why you got to follow that Jesus stuff? I mean, really, honestly, I just don't get it. it, it, it it's, it's, such a, it's such a crutch, you know, to which I always say, yeah, and all of our legs are broken. <laughs> so here's the point is the cross is exclusive, just like every relationship that works, okay? It's the reason polygamy doesn't work, because relationships were supposed to be exclusive. So the point of what I'm trying to say is you have to make a choice, and some of you are right here right now, and I am as well, of saying, am I going to make the choice for the cross, or am I going to get stuck on what I want to do? Now, you say, what do you mean be, get stuck on? Well, well let, me, let me illustrate it this way. And any of you that know me know that I, 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 I think of things in, in visual terms, and I, 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 I'm sorry if this, if this offends some of you, but there are things out there 
uh, to help keep rodents away. And, and there are these, I don't know if you've ever seen these, but, but there, are these, there are these traps, okay, that, that are extremely sticky, okay? And if you, if you fall into one of these as a little bugger, okay, <laughs> running around, you know, you smell something, put some cheese on here, put some, uh, you know, peanut butter, whatever. You smell this, you, you, you put one foot in this thing, you can fight as much as you would like, but once you stick, there's no getting them off. No, no way. I mean, that's like one of the stickiest things you'll ever touch. You say, what does that have to do with any of this? It's because culture says that if you're stuck, just pull harder. Just, just work harder. Just just try a little bit harder in this rat race and maybe you'll do a little bit better. Oh, this year's your year. Oh, oh, it's coming for you. Yeah, you're, you're going to have a lucky break soon. And you're like, I've been waiting for that lucky break any day now. And, and God's saying, well, wait, wait a second. I understand you're working, but what if you put that same effort, what if you put that same effort and not to try to free yourself from the trap of self-effort and self-promotion. But, but what if you said, you know what? There's another side of that trap. And you can use it not as something that you're trying to get out of, but you can use it as a stair step. And what God intended for you to be the step out of your deceit, the step out of your sin, the step out of your addiction. He wants that to be the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the back of the trap doesn't hold on to you, but it allows you to hold on to it. And I will tell you something, that when you understand that there's two sides of the same coin, that you can either promote yourself or you can promote Jesus. That's the choice. That you can either get stuck in this rat race we call life, we call quote-unquote success, or you can say, no, there's another side. Not as sticky. By the way, when you know this truth, guess what? What Jesus said in John 8, it'll set you free. It'll make you free. So, So stop the struggle and start to humble yourself before God and say, God, all I want is to know you. I want to know you. I want to, I, I want to serve you. I want to love you because I've been loving myself and it hasn't been working. I've been serving myself and I'm a terrible master. I, I, I've, been, I've been chasing all the wrong things. My identity has been wrapped up in who I am and who people think I am and what I'm accomplishing and that ends today. I am going to crucify it on the cross of Jesus Christ and I am going to say no longer am I stuck in this trap. No, now I seek the cross and now my chains will be set free. Why? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Here's the takeaway, and that is this. The cross of Jesus Christ proves God's offer for acceptance. You say, well, God doesn't want to accept me. He does. He proved it by sending his son Jesus to the cross. And he wants a relationship with us. But our acceptance of the cross, 
not just for salvation, but every single day, dying to what I want, living for what he wants. Our acceptance of that cross, it proves the relationship that we have with him. You say, oh, I have a relationship with Jesus, do you? What have you put to death? What, what's alive that, that you didn't make alive? What has he done in you? You can't explain any way else other than to say, it was Jesus. You guys, I have to tell you this. Most of my life, I couldn't have pieced half of it together if I tried. Why? Everything I touch turns to dung. But everything Jesus touches through me, wow. God, look at that. Man, lives changed. Oh, God, you did so much. It's not me. It's him. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.